Do you believe in angels? Now, guys, I'm not talking about to the woman right next to you. She might be an angel. But do you believe in angels? Do you believe that they're real? That they, maybe they're even present with us here right now. Now, I want you to understand, we're not going to worship angels. That's not what they're for. They are actually created to worship. But we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about them in the next, over the next few weeks of how angels brought a call of Christmas into the world. And that's the theme of the next few weeks that we're going to be sharing together. My mom said that an angel actually bit my left earlobe when I was a baby. And that's the reason why it's a little bit different than the right one. I'm not sure what I did that was so bad that an angel had to bite me, but that's what she said. I thought it was the barber when I was a little kid actually cut my ear up, but I think I was actually born this way. It had something to do with the way my kidneys and my, you know your kidneys and your ears de- develop at the same time? I don't know if you knew that or not. But de- something developed wrong, but my mom always made that joke that an angel bit me. A recent Google search on angel encounters actually produces well over one million results in less than one second of all the different encounters in the world. Historical reviews of virtually all nations and cultures demonstrate some belief in angels or angelic beings. Do you know that some Islamic scholars suggest that each person on earth is assigned at least two angels that are tasked to record the good and the bad deeds of your life? Now, I couldn't help but think about this thought. I really kept that bad deed angel really busy in my high school into early 20s. I wore him out or her out, <laughs> if that is the case. And I guess maybe that's where you get the thought of, you know, the, the good angel and the bad angel on your shoulder, and it's like whispering in your ear trying to get you to do whatever it is that you're supposed to be doing or not doing. We might be tempted to not believe only because we have not seen one with our own eyes. Apart from our own spouse or children, of course, because all of our children are precious little angels until they become teenagers. (laughs) And then everything changes at that point. (laughs) But the Bible says that God will command his angels concerning concerning you to guard you in all of your ways in Psalm 91 verse 11. It also teaches that angels, although they are largely unseen, watch over us and work for our good. The Bible says, are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Hebrews 1.14. Jesus actually had angels minister to him in the desert when he was out there fasting for 40 days. Then how about this thought? Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. In all the years of ministry, I have had many encounters with lots of different types of people in lots of different settings. Uh, Some would just walk into the door of the church and or ring the buzzer outside the Baptist church, and people would come, they would need, a, they need a, something, some gas, or need food, or need a place to stay, or whatever. Or I've seen people on the street, and seen many different encounters in different environments, and I've often wondered, is this person an angel? I've thought about that. I thought, is this, is God testing me? Is he, is he going to see if I'm going to, to take care of this person and love this person? 
And that's not saying that every single homeless person is an angel, but I'm wondering, and I, and I can't wait till I maybe get to heaven and I can ask that, did I, and maybe someone will come up to me, hey, remember that time in Kansas City on the street down on Prospect when you stopped and you gave me a dollar or you gave me a toothbrush or you gave me whatever it is that you had? Man, that was, that was me and I was there just to see if you would do that for me. Because you don't know. You might be hosting an angel even in, in your own home. I was talking to someone earlier before, before the service, and I was talking about Thanksgiving and some of the relatives. You know, we talked about this before. You know, some of those, those relatives that you like them, you love them, but you don't really like them that much. I know they're not angels, by the way. I'll just tell you right now. But it, but it, was, a good, it was a good holiday. But I'm excited to look forward to, to Christmas. How about in Luke chapter 16? Luke chapter 16, there's a story about a rich man and a beggar named Lazarus. And they both died at the same time. And it says a time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And so it introduces us to this thought and this idea that the death of a follower of Jesus is holy and different than the death of someone who's not a follower of Jesus. Well, for eternity, for sure. But even in the midst of death, that person is not alone. That they are carried. And even there's been testimony after testimony. People said, in the hospital room, at my loved one's deathbed, I realized there was something holy other present here. There was a man in our church that had a vision before Landon passed away that his hospital room was filled with angels. And then he heard one of them say, not yet, and then they all disappeared. And then the moment that Landon passed, I sensed that they were all back. Now maybe I was just hopeful, maybe I was just looking But I believe what the Bible says. And I was thinking to myself, like, there, we are not alone in this place. And it's not to sensationalize or it's a great illustration, it's a great thing to talk about in the sermon, but I, but I think it's true. For one, the, the reality is, is that the, the Bible says that the devil, is, he's the prince of the, of the kingdom of the air. The space between where we are and to where our spirit, our soul goes to rest. And if he's the prince and he's the king of that, that king of the air, I believe that the Lord says, I'm not going to allow my, my beloved to go alone. And I'm going to es- escort him or her into the presence. Even at the end of Luke chapter 24, it says that Jesus was there with his his friends, his followers, and he blessed them. He lifted up his hands, and he blessed them, and then he was carried up to heaven. Kind of a neat thought. If you've ever wondered, is there freedom in me lifting my hands in worship? I would say yes, there is. Don't be afraid. I don't know that you're going to get lifted out of here, but if you do, that would be awesome. 
we're going to talk about that. We're going to tell somebody, all right? Man, Sean lifted his hands, and the next thing you know, poof, he was gone. There was no, there was no tricks. There was no, like, wires hooked up to his chair. I mean, he was just, he was here for a moment, and then he was lifted into heaven. That would be amazing. We would grieve. We would say nice things about you after you're gone. <laughs> but that would be awesome. What a great story. I bet you there'd be more people here next week. Where's that seat? Where's the magic seat? I'm going to send, <laughs> take me, take me home now. Jesus is probably like, I've had enough, all right? Just take me. I'll come back. <laughs> I'm going to go prepare a place for you. That's what I said I was going to do. And if I said so, I'll come back and get you. The second advent. <laughs> and so we look at the call of, of Christmas and that call certainly comes with some angelic messengers sent, I believe, directly from the Lord to uh, play a p- prominent role in the advent of the coming of Jesus, the Messiah. So we're going to do this series, a series over the next few weeks, that will examine these calls that come forth from the angels. There are three calls actually re- recorded in the Gospel of Luke that begin with our, our message today, and that is with Zechariah, who is a priest and that is a call to prepare. Then we'll move to Mary next week. And that is a call to provide. And ultimately to the shepherds in the book of uh, Luke who were out in the fields surrounding Bethlehem, watching the flocks by night. And they have a call from the angel to praise. And then the Gospel of Matthew records the call of Christmas from the angel that came to Joseph. And there's a call to protect. So all four instances recount an angelic call that would lead to the arrival, to the advent of the Christ child. Let's take a look at this video. Luke chapter 1. So if you have your Bible, turn there. Do we have any... English teachers. I know I have some teachers in the room. I want you to notice the sentence structure of the first sentence in the book. Does this drive you crazy? She's a writer. <laughs> this, this is the longest sentence, might be the longest sentence in the Bible, but I never even noticed it. Like I've discovered something new. This is a long sentence. There's no period until the end. But there's a reason why it's written this way to, in that culture, it was to allow the reader to know this is significant. There's something important about this particular intro. There's a man named N.T. Wright who is a professor at the University of St. Andrews in Scotland who is a very profound thinker, a theologian of the day, and he wrote this thought about this intro into the book of Luke. He said, this intro is like a huge stone entrance welcoming you impressively to a large building filled with incredible things. So listen to what it says. It says, inasmuch 
as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us. Now he's speaking of the gospel, the, the, the story of Jesus. This is after Jesus has come, lived, died, rose again, ascended into heaven. So he's talking about, we've compiled a narrative, many have, of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. I want you to know that these things are true. I want you to have certainty, Theophilus. Okay, so a lot of people think, who is Theophilus? Is he actually a person, or is he a generalization of, of all believers, all lovers of God, which is what his name means, lover of God or friend of God? Is it a representation of all of us? I would say yes, but, but a lot of scholars say he's really a real person because it says most excellent. Like he might have been someone um, who had a power and authority. But he had power and authority, but he also had faith to believe. And so Luke was, was they were writing this letter to him to let him know that this is a true and accurate account of the story of Jesus. So here's what he says. He says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Listen, sometimes, some, some people in this culture would say they've done something wrong. It's the reason why they don't have children. They, they, they've sinned or they've, they've broken God's law or commandment. But they, he was quick and clear to say that these people were blameless before the Lord. But they were advanced in years and the hope or the lack thereof of ever having a child was growing dim. Now while... Zechariah was serving as a priest before God when his division was on duty according to the custom of the priesthood he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense so this would have been for him as an individual priest out of hundreds of priests in 24 different divisions for this guy to be chosen on that day would have been a miracle all in itself because it would have been like them choosing um a name out of a hat. And Zechariah was chosen to be the one to go into the presence to burn incense, to offer up prayers to the Lord. It was a very important duty. And it was by no accident, I believe, because God's timing is perfect, for him to be there. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear 
fell upon him. Because when angels do appear, they do not appear like chubby little cherubs, by the way. Sweet and cute and innocent where you want to poke them. No, they are massive and impressive and they scare people because so many times they have to tell them, don't be afraid. I'm, I'm, I'm a good guy. Now, if I'm black and I'm dark and scary, you should be afraid. Well, now you shouldn't even really be afraid of that either if you're a follower of Jesus. You shouldn't worry about that. But listen to what it says. He fear fell upon him, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. And you shall have joy and gladness. Many will rejoice at his birth. Well, he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. We know that's true because later in the story, when Mary goes to see Elizabeth, when she encounters Mary holding the, ch the child of, of God inside of her womb, Elizabeth's baby, John, jumps and it says she was filled with the Holy Spirit. And it says he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him. He'll go before Jesus in the power of Elijah. And turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And the disobedient to the wisdom of the, of the just. To make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How should I know this? For I am old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at this delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them, and he remained mute. And when this time of service was ended, he went to his home. And after these days, it says, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked upon me. This is to take away my approach among people. Zechariah was just doing his job and this divinely orchestrated encounter with this angel took place in the stillness of his work day when he least expected it. I want you to hear this thought. God works through ordinary people doing what they normally do in their life. That should be an amen moment for you. Because you are an ordinary person. I am an ordinary person. And in just in your ordinary, everyday life, God can and wants to work through you to do extraordinary things. Now, you may never have an angelic vision. You may never be called to carry the baby that leads the way <laughs> for other people. Or you may be, I don't know. But the reality is, as we sit here today, God is calling us to prepare a place for his presence in your life so that through you, he can touch and influence and make a difference in others. Do you believe that to be true? And you may not think, well, there's, there's nothing I have to offer, really. I mean, my life is such a mess. I've been so barren for so many years. How can God do anything significant in me? 
Hey, remember all those years that I was giving my bad angel a hard time and keeping him busy? I would have believed the same thing back then. There's no way God could use or choose me. Why? Why would he do that? There's got to be somebody more prepared, somebody that can speak in a more eloquent way, somebody that has more influence, and somebody that has more resource, whatever it is. But for some reason, God chose me. Zechariah received the call of Christmas, and it would be the call to prepare. N.T. Wright, the guy I spoke about earlier, he wrote, he wrote this. It says, the story, this story that I spoke of is so much more, um, about so much more than Zechariah's joy of having a son at last or, or Elizabeth's exaltation of being freed from the scorn of the mothers in the village. It is about the great fulfillment of God's promise and purposes. But the needs, hopes, and fears of ordinary people are not forgotten in this larger story Precisely because of who Israel's God is, the God of lavish, self-giving love. When God acts on a larger scale, he takes care of the smaller human concerns as well. Isn't that a cool thought? That God is holding the universe in his hands. Just our little universe, among many universes, he's holding them in the palm of his hands. And he's got that under control. He's spinning it just right. But why is it that we feel like he can't hold us? I think we allow fear to overwhelm us. Fear of the unknown fear of tomorrow fear of the what if as we prepare our homes in this church in our community in our workplaces as we prepare those places for Christmas may we invest time in preparing our own hearts for the advent of the king for the coming of the king into our own lives this trimming the tree how many of you put, put your tree up put your tree up yeah. got, got all that done it was, it was fun yesterday watching my girls dance and have a good time decorating the tree it was a lot more fun because I didn't have to do it <laughs> I just got to watch it be done I use the, oh, I got to prepare for my sermon excuse while I just listen to them. It's fun. And I heard there's great pictures and stories on, on social media that I'm not even aware of. It's a good thing my hair was combed. Because you just never know when a picture's going to escape out there. Lights on your house. Let me put lights on your house. Anybody, anybody do that? Anybody? Way to go. Spencer, Spencer he's just, by the way, Let's welcome the newest member of the Calling Community Church. This, everyone, is Maisie Grace. Turn around, look, see, oh, yeah, amen. How did you have time to put lights on your house is what I want to know. Did you hire it done? What's your secret? Just, <laughs> there's your man right there. I knew there was a secret. 
Maybe like, like candles, you cook Christmas food, you sing Christmas songs, enjoying the festivities of the season. All those things are important to prepare, but preparing our hearts to encounter the Savior is something that is meant to be life-changing, both for you and the people you come in contact with. That is the true call of Christmas. It's a call to prepare, just as the angel said. So here's a few questions that we're going we're gonna to share. We're going to share in the Lord's Supper together, which I think is, is just perfect timing as we begin this season. So here's a question I want to ask you. I want to ask you, how do you need to respond to this call to prepare yourself your own heart for this Christmas season. How do you need to respond as an individual? And what do you hope what do you hope will happen this Christmas? I know when I was younger, I hoped that I would get, you know, fill in the blank. That's what I hoped I would get. But I think as I've got older, I hope that I don't miss the significance the, of the season for the, the hope that it brings and the peace and the joy and the, and the love that is surrounded by Christ coming. I want you to bow your heads and just pray. Worship team, go ahead and come on up. I think it's appropriate this morning if you're here today and you've never prepared your heart to receive this gift of eternal life that is in Christ Jesus. If you've never done that, before you come to the table to remember his sacrifice for you, would you receive that sacrifice in your heart today. I'm just going to ask you with your heads bowed, eyes closed, I'm just, just going to be a little more bold this morning. And I'm going to ask you if, you, if you don't know Jesus, if you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior by putting your faith and trust in Him, you say, you know what, that's me today. I've never, I've never really done that. I know about Him, but I don't really know Him. Would you just put your hand up in the air? Just don't be afraid. Yeah. Yes, thank you. Don't be afraid of this moment. Don't be afraid of this moment. So if you've, if you've never done, you raised your hand, would you just say with me, Lord Jesus, would you come? And would you 
take up a place in my heart? Would you reside in me? Would you come and live inside of me? Would you save me from my sin? Would you make me whole, make me clean? Would you make me a new person today? Jesus, I believe that the reason you came to earth was to give yourself as a sacrifice upon a cross so that all men and all women who choose to believe in that can be set free. And not only that, Jesus, I believe that, but you rose again. You conquered death. Because you conquered death, I don't have to fear death any longer because when I die, I have the hope that I'll be in your presence. I have the hope that when Jesus advents again, when he comes back to earth, he's going to receive me to himself because that is what God's word says. And I believe that today. I I confess it with my mouth and I believe in my heart. And thank you, Jesus, for saving me. In your name we pray, amen. The key is, is to acknowledge Christ with your lips now and let somebody know you prayed that prayer. Tell someone, don't be afraid. It's it's the best gift you've ever received. Tell people about it. Don't be afraid to tell people about it. So if you're here this morning, you've never taken the Lord's Supper with us, here's how it works. What we'll do is when we start to sing, everyone will stand up and we make our way to the right. Now, if you're not able to physically get down here, uh, let us know let somebody know and then we, we kind of keep an eye out for each other if you can't get up here we'll take we'll bring it back to you but what you'll do is you'll stand up and everyone goes to their right and when you come to um, to the end of the row we'll have uh, someone standing there with a, a basket and if you come prepared to give an offering today I think it's this powerful thought of of giving before you receive and you'll give your uh, your offering and if you're serving communion, why don't you go ahead and come on forward. And each person, when you come forward, after you've given, you'll place uh, your, your gift there, but then you'll come and you'll take a piece of bread and you'll take a thing of juice and you'll go back to your, to your seat and you'll wait and we'll all eat together and drink together. So does that make sense? Okay, come forward and receive and then we'll take it all together once we're back in our seats.